Sin number two, if I want something done right, I've got to do it on my own. Or another version of this thinking is that it's hard to find good employees. Now, it's no secret that most contractors are in business because they're good at their trade. If you've ever read the book called E-Myth by Michael Gerber, what he says is that most small business owners, and contractors are no exception to this, most small business owners are frustrated technicians who become business owners on the side. In other words, chances are you became a contractor because you're good at a certain trade and then decided to go into business for yourself. Now, being good at a trade and being good at running a business in that trade are two completely separate things. You need a completely different skill set to be successful. So if you're a great plumber, it does not mean you will be automatically successful at running a plumbing business. One of the most critical skills that every business owner has to acquire and master is hiring. Of course, hiring is not easy. It brings a whole new set of problems personnel issues, unreliable workers, shabby, uh, shabby workmanship, and more. You know, I have a coach, Blair Singer, and what he often says is that business would be easy if there were not people involved. So it's no wonder that many contractors commit the second sin of the mind, which is they say that if something has to be done right, I've got to do it on my own. So there is a way of overcoming it. And the way to overcome it is to understand that hiring is not a game of chance. First, you have to change your mindset about hiring. Too many contractors believe that hiring is a crapshoot. The way they hire is they, they land a job or a couple of jobs and then they go around looking for people and hire the first guy who doesn't smell of alcohol. Or even worse, they hire friends and family. Then they are frustrated when they go through mediocre employee after mediocre employee and struggle to find people who can get the job done right. Because hiring isn't a game of chance or a fly by the seat of your pants operation. It is one of the most critical aspects of running a successful business. The sooner you realize it, the sooner you will be able to attract the right kind of people and weed out the losers before you have to clean up their mess. There's a critical difference. Take for example my friend's father-in-law. He's a painting contractor who runs a family business that has been around since 1881. They do high-rise hotels in the southeastern part of the United States. And they hire lots of people. I mean lots. At times he'll run several crews of 8 to 10 people each. One of the biggest differences I've noticed between him and much smaller painting contractors is that his father-in-law approaches hiring very seriously. While the contractors with small, you know, 4 to 5 people crews don't give it much thought at all. As a result, he attracts high-quality, long-term employees while his competition struggles to stay afloat. Now, of course, when I share this principle with owners of small contracting companies, I'm often met with this objection. Well, that's all well and good, but people just aren't as dependable as they used to be. These days, it's really hard to find good people. But is it true or is it just a self-fulfilling prophecy? In my experience, the idea that you cannot find good people stems from the fact that you do not have them working for you. But you do not have them working for you, not because they are not out there, but because you have not found a way to attract them. You hire ad hoc, get crappy people, and then wonder why your crews are so difficult to manage. It goes back to the same B quadrant versus S quadrant distinction from the previous chapter. A B quadrant contractor knows what kind of people he's looking for, how to get them to apply, and how to sift through the candidates until he finds the perfect fit, and then how to keep employees loyal once he's brought them on board. An S-Quadrant contractor does none of the above. Just the other day I was speaking to an S-Quadrant contractor about his staffing problems. 
I suggested that one of his major issues was his employees were woefully undertrained. And what he replied to the me was, he says, yeah, if I train them, they'll leave. I had to look him straight in the eye and tell him, sure, dude, if you don't train them, they will stay. I mean, really, who would you have rather working for you? Highly trained, top-notch people or under-trained, underperforming people? It took him a second to get what I was saying. But when it sunk in, he laughed and he said, okay, you're right. He said, I might save myself some training costs in the beginning, but if I keep working with under-trained people, it'll cost me much more over the long haul. The next thing to realize is that a little appreciation goes a long way. You know, perhaps like the contractor I just told you about, you're afraid that by hiring and training exceptional employees, you'll just be creating competition for yourself. That is, workers will leave the job and then using the training you provide them, open their own businesses and provide similar services. Now, I don't deny that there's an element of risk about that. But remember, the only other option is to continue slaving away as you've been doing. Now, is that any better? You do not need to live out of fear. The benefits that come from buying your freedom are well worth any potential risk along this line. Of course, there is one important way you can mitigate even this risk, and that is make your people feel appreciated. Look, most employers believe that the primary reason their employees leave is finance-related, money-related, that their employees are just looking for a pay raise, and anybody who offers them a dollar more in salary, they're going to bolt and join that company. But there is literally decades of salary survey data that says otherwise. When polled about why most employees left their place of employment, most workers put money all the way down to fourth on the list. If that surprises you, it should not. Far and away, the number one reason people leave their current place of employment is because they feel personally underappreciated. The second reason is similar. The second reason is they do not feel as though what they do is important in the grand scheme of things, that they have a dead-end opportunity. And the third reason is because they believe that the company they work for is in trouble and that they are saving their necks before the whole ship goes down. You know, that this is a dead-end company. So understand this, people want to be good at what they do and want to be acknowledged for it. If you can help people feel appreciated and more importantly provide a system of training, advancement and recognition within the company and then help them see that your business is growing and thriving, you can keep top quality employees around for a long, long time. So the question is how to start finding good people. If you're an S-Quadron contractor, chances are you have very few employees or you might even be a one-person operation. The thought of bringing on additional people can be very daunting. But do not let that hold you back. Here's how to get started. Step number one is to identify the roles you want to fill. As we discussed in the previous chapter, you want to start small. Don't walk out on day one and try to find the CEO of your, for your small company. Instead, get a bookkeeper or an admin assistant or an office manager who can help you handle some of the low-scale, low-enjoyability tasks you identified earlier. Step number two is to write a killer job description. The best way to catch a lot of fish is by using the best bait possible. Most job descriptions are weak. You need to make yours stand out. Because you need to write a job description with the same mindset you go about getting a client. Because getting a good employee is a sales job. You have to sell them on you. So write your job description in what's in it for the applicant language. And then be specific about the responsibilities of the job the personality characteristics you're looking for, the qualifications they should have, and it's also nice to include the hours you expect them to work and maybe earning potential. If you have a paper copy of this book, we actually have some sample ads in our book and you can copy and use them for your own needs.
And step number three is generate leads. When hiring, you've got to be proactive. It's not just about writing a great job description. It's about getting that job description in the hands of the right people. So here are five great ways to find quality candidates. The first is, if you have them, call past high quality team members and ask them if there's anything you can do to get them back. Secondly, you can post a sign on your door or window of your own company. Post an ad on Craigslist. Then talk to anybody you know. Consider a recruiting incentive program, you know, a few hundred dollars, and then tell your friends, associates, your contacts, or employees, and let them know you'll give them a bonus if they introduce you to high-quality candidates. Um, number five is you can actually go to networking events and then tell people that you're looking to hire a, a certain type of person. Interestingly, this will get you a lot more attention in, uh, instead of you going there and trying to sell your services. So the point is to recognize that how important hiring is to your livelihood and then to be completely engaged in the process of finding a person that's the right fit. Step number four, this is to implement a pre-interview screening process. One of the biggest reasons contractors never end up hiring good people is because they never talk to them. And the reason they never talk to them is because interviewing is a very time-consuming process and you never get through enough people to actually get to the right people for the job that you're actually looking for. And too many can, uh, contractors waste unnecessary time interviewing candidates who are not truly qualified. Now fortunately, you can eliminate a lot of the dead weight quickly just by implementing a simple screening process. Here's a simple four-step screening process for hiring office assistants, office managers, bookkeepers, etc. before you get into the time-consuming activity of in-person interviews. Step number one in this process is to set up a special voicemail box for screening purposes. This is a dedicated phone number that you're going to ask your applicants to call in the ad that you put out uh, for the job description that you're looking for. They can call this number any time of day or night and leave a message. I use a company called ureach.com, so it's the letter U-R-E-A-C-H.com, and they provide you an 800 number, a voicemail box, and an email address for just 10 to 12 bucks a month. So what you're going to do with this mailbox um, is you're going to leave a greeting and in that greeting you're going to ask the candidates a couple of questions related to the job that they're applying to. These questions could be something like, you know, what's your experience? So let's say you're hiring an office manager. What's your experience as an office manager working for contractors? Or something like, um, you know, why do you feel you're the right candidate for the job? The point here isn't that you need to come up with a perfect question to ask them. The point is you're trying to see how they are in responding to a question that you've asked them. You know, especially if these are, let's say if they're an office manager and they're going to be responding to phone calls and they're going to be talking to clients, you need to really understand, first of all, can they respond appropriately when asked a question? And secondly, how do they come across on the other side of the line? Which is very important because if they're talking to your clients, they essentially become the face of your company. So step number two is that in your job description ad that you post, you ask the candidates to send you a resume, and in addition to that, you ask them to call this 800 number, listen to the questions there, and leave a voicemail answering those questions. So step number three, you listen to the responses they leave in the voicemails, and you review their resumes, and then you sort the applicants into the following three categories. So category A are candidates that have left both a voicemail and a resume and actually both look promising. Category B is that they've left you a voicemail and a resume but one, you know, one or two could be a little bit better. And then category C are the 
applicants that either did not leave you a voicemail or didn't send you a resume. The point is, if they cannot follow instructions at this early on in the stage, what's going to happen once they actually join your company? So step number four is you call your A's for interviews first. And only if you do not find a good candidate in the A's do you even look at the B's. And you never bother with the C's. I don't care how great their resume looks or their voicemail sounds. You know, most of them will actually send you resumes. Because there are these people called professional resume blasters out there. They see an ad and they'll send you a resume. Um, it doesn't matter how great the resume is. If they do not follow your instructions, do not spend time interviewing them because they're never going to turn out to be good candidates. So depending on the number of applicants that you have and the nature of the job, you could even add another layer of screening. That's a live phone interview before you get to the final step, which is a in-person interview in your office. So step number five is the in-person interview in your office. What you need to do here is you need to bring them in for a test drive. Now that you've narrowed the field of applicants down substantially, you're ready to invest some quality time in talking to the people you've selected. You can actually bring them in for maybe a four-hour on-site interview. You need to get a feel for their personalities, um, and it's important actually to have them complete an on-the-job task or two. If it's an office manager who says that they're great at QuickBooks, you know, when they come in um, after the initial, you know, uh, half an hour of conversation with them, give them a few things to do in QuickBooks and see how well they do. Um, one important thing here is this, that you should create a series of interview questions. This could be, you know, six, eight, or ten questions that you use uniformly for all the applicants who reach this stage. And these questions should focus on that actual past experience as opposed to some, you know, theoretical future possibilities of what they could do for you. What this allows you to do is allows you to compare answers after the fact, um, you know, in an apples to apples basis on a standard set of questions you ask them. And then once you're through the whole process, you actually will be in a great position to make an offer to the candidate, uh, the candidate who's impressed you the most. So now let's talk about a success story, uh, Tom, who's one of my clients who had a carpet cleaning business. So the first time we met was at a business seminar I held, and then as soon as I finished, he came over to me and made this declaration. He said, you know, that's all well and good, but it will never work in my industry. We're talking about, you know, finding good people to uh, build a company on. So of course I've heard this before, and I said, that's interesting, why is that? And he said that that's because you cannot maintain quality and have more than one truck in a carpet cleaning company. Because as soon as the owner isn't overseeing the employees on the job, everything goes downhill. So I said, it's not possible. And he said, nope, not at all. He said, absolutely not. So what I said to him is this. I said, okay, let me just make sure I understand this. So what you're telling me, Tom, is that nobody in your industry has figured out how to hire good people, build a big company, and deliver quality services. Is that right? Nobody? Well, of course, he hesitated. And I said, well, and he said, well, I guess somebody's figured it out. I said, yeah, of course. So what's the difference between them and you? Of course, he wasn't sure what to say at this point. So I said to him, is this, the difference is this, that they're doing something that you're not doing, Tom. They know something that you don't know. Something that you're not doing or thinking is preceding the action that is getting you your results as opposed to getting you their results. And at this point, he started to get it. And what he said was, he said, yeah, I think I've bought into a series of rules that don't actually apply. I believe that it's, if something's got to be done right, it's got to be done by me. And those big players in my industry don't believe that. And I guess that they're right. 
So when Tom and I started working together, one of the first things we did was put an employee acquisition system in place, you know, very similar to what we've been talking about in this chapter. Um, it helped him attract and retain high quality people, and he no longer feels as if he has to go out on all the jobs and babysit his crews. He now has a lot more time um, free to him, of course, because he's not doing work on the job sites, you know, cleaning carpets. And now he spends that time actually growing his business. So he's making more money and has more time to enjoy with, with his family. So, you know, one of the morals of this story is something that my business coach always tells me. And he says, you know, whenever we find ourselves stuck in business, we try to find answers to it. But when we are stuck, it's not what we don't know that keeps us stuck. The things that keep us stuck in business are the things that we are really sure of that are just not so. So keep that in mind the next time you find yourself stuck with a problem in your business that you cannot figure out how to fix.